Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. So we're good to go. All right, so if you all uh, would please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Um, We're going through the book of Luke uh, this year. Um, We started back in December of last year, and we used that beginning part of Luke as our Christmas series, and we just kind of kept going after uh, the new year started. Uh, We're working our way through the book of Luke, um, and what I typically do, um, or what I try to do, is it's called expository preaching, and that means that we are exposing the text. We're we're trying to figure out what the text actually says and what it means, Um, and the way that we do this is by keeping the text in context. Uh, On a most basic level, that means that as I'm preaching through uh, a text, I will stay usually in that that whole section. Um, A lot of times it means we're going through a whole book at a time. Um, If not a whole book, we'll look at the the life of a person. Uh, A few years ago, we went through a life of a person um, instead of going through the whole book of Genesis, because that would be a bit much. But we did look at um, Jacob there and kind of go through his life. But we're trying to keep it in context, because we recognize that in order to truly understand what the Word says, we have to know what it means. And so we look at the historical context. We look at the, the literary context, what's happening around that, the, those words right there. And we look at the historical context and, and trying to understand what was going on in history at that time. And the cultural context and what does it mean in that culture at that time. And then we, once we understand that, we can build a bridge to our modern understanding and apply that to our lives nowadays. And so we're going through the book of Luke right now. We've gotten to the end of chapter 7 and we're in verses 35 to 50. And the title of this sermon is A Scandal at Dinner, or Scandal at Dinner. But the main idea of this passage is that great forgiveness brings great love. Great forgiveness brings great love. And I have this text broken down into three uh, divisions. There's the first part I'm calling She's a Sinner. The second part is a parable. And the third part is She is Forgiven. So I'm going to pray and we'll get right into this text. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, as we open up your text, we open up your word, I pray, God, that you will help us to see the lesson that you have for us in this. Show us how we are not like you. Show us our sins so we can repent from them and place our faith more and more in you every day. Help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we'll go ahead and get right into this, starting in verse 36. Uh, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So the Pharisees were part of the religious elites. They were uh, one half of the Sanhedrin. So the Sanhedrin was the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were a group that that they kind of acted as Israel's religious high court. Uh, Or sorry, they were the Jewish high court. Uh, These men were the ones who decided if someone had broken the Israelite law and what their punishment would be. So the Pharisees, they were the more fundamentalist, uh, legalistic group, whereas the Sadducees were the more liberal side of the group. Um, And so we're looking at a Pharisee this morning. They were the ones, they they were using their religiosity and their fundamentalist uh, idea of Scripture to discredit and shame the Jewish people of their day. They would dress and act in a way to draw attention to themselves and to show off just how religious they could be. It was their self-righteousness, though, that prevented them from seeing their need for a Savior. They probably wouldn't say this out loud, 
They might not even recognize it in their hearts. But they basically believed that if they followed all of the rules close enough, that they could atone for their own sins and they could save themselves. And when I look at the history of the American church, especially in the American South or the Southeast, I see this as a danger that we need to look out for in ourselves. Many of us fall into this trap of Phariseeism. Yes, we've had our problems, and we're, but we're pretty good people, right? We grew up in church in a mostly Christian culture, and, and we haven't done anything really bad, or at least we haven't gotten caught doing anything really bad, right? You know, if you compare yourself to other people, if we get to choose who those other people are, we look pretty good, right? So our self-righteousness can be our downfall. Our Christian moralism or our religiosity or our churchiosity, our churchiness, can lead us to think that maybe, maybe we don't need a Savior. Maybe we can do it on our own. Jesus came to be sacrificed for those other people, but I'm not that bad. Many of us wouldn't say that out loud, but it's the underlying philosophy that endangers our salvation. It's the same Phariseeism that Jesus condemned. It's easy for us to always paint, our, paint ourselves as, as the good guy in Scripture or to picture ourselves as the good guy in Scripture. But oftentimes, I think it's more beneficial and maybe even more accurate to put ourselves in the shoes of the antagonists portrayed in the Bible. So as you listen to this story, I challenge you to put yourself in the Pharisee's shoes. Picture yourself as the Pharisee in this story. What lesson is Jesus trying to teach him that might be the same lesson that he's trying to tell you this morning. So Jesus entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. See, at this point, Jesus had already confronted the Pharisees several times. He pointed out that they were sinners just like the rest of the Jews, and they needed a Savior too. They were not fans of Jesus, and they had already, already started trying to catch him, doing something that they could use to discredit him or to charge some crime with him. But Jesus was not ready to give up on them. Though he was very critical of them, he kept sharing truth with them. Jesus enters this man's house. Knowing that this Pharisee was probably trying to catch him doing something wrong, Jesus goes to this dinner. He goes to dine with him, knowing that it may very well be a trap. And a woman in town, who was a sinner, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. So this woman says, a woman in town who was a sinner. Now, the Bible is full of euphemisms that could be very easy for us to misunderstand. So a euphemism is where you take something that is hard to talk about, or it, it, it's hurtful to talk about, and we give it a, a nice twist so it doesn't sound quite as bad, right? So instead of, somebody, instead of saying that somebody died, we say they, they passed away. That's a euphemism, right? So here, Luke says this woman is a sinner. I think that's a bit of a euphemism. What he's implying is that her sin is so egregious that it would not even be polite to mention it out loud. He's probably implying that she was a prostitute. This woman is the perfect contrast to the Pharisee. He's the religious elite, the self-righteous, upstanding citizen, and she is a dirty sinner. But she brings an alabaster jar of perfume. This jar is quite valuable in a couple of ways. But first, it had great monetary value. 
This jar of perfume would have cost about one year's salary of your typical day laborer. So one year's salary. That's a pretty big purchase. Um, so she's, she's just pouring it out for Jesus. That's a, that's a big offering. Secondly, when you can consider this woman's profession and the hygiene practices of the day, the perfume had a big practical value. She needed to smell good to make money. Both ways you look at it, she is making a huge sacrifice for Jesus. The perfume might have been something that she had saved up for for a long time and finally had enough money to buy it, and now she's sacrificing the whole thing for Jesus. Or it might be something that if she doesn't have, it's going to negatively impact her ability to make money. And yet she's still sacrificing it for Jesus. But it's not just the fact that she is sacrificing it to him, but it's the way that she offers the sacrifice that is probably more shocking than everything else about her. It says that she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. Now, I've already mentioned the hygiene standards of the day. So just imagine sandals, dirt roads, you got the prevalence of camels and and donkeys and mules or other beasts of burden. And then there's a lack of indoor plumbing. People's feet were nasty. All the gross stuff they had to tread through, people's feet were gross. And here comes this dirty prostitute. She uses her expensive perfume to wash Jesus' nasty feet. Not only that, she uses her hair to finish the job and wipe them off. In that culture, it was acceptable for a woman to let down her hair only for her husband. So it suggested familiarity and intimacy appropriate only for marriage. When a woman let down her hair to a man that was not her husband, it was seen as a sexual proposition. Then, after that, she kissed Jesus' feet. Now, I got a thing about feet. I, feet are gross. Like, that's one of the worst parts of them. Feet are just gross. Right? So she's kissing his feet. It's not only gross, but it's a sign of intimacy that would have been inappropriate for any pair of upstanding citizens to do in public. I think it still would be really weird for people to do that in public. <laughs> but this woman, she didn't mean it in that way. She was simply showing her gratitude and humility before Jesus. Then we have the Pharisee. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, she, oh, sorry, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is touching him. She's a sinner. This Pharisee doubts that Jesus is a prophet because he does not immediately reprimand the woman. He doesn't publicly scorn her. The Pharisee is repulsed by her. And if Jesus could not see how terrible of a person she is, then he must not be a prophet. Rather, Jesus welcomes her gestures of affection. She recognized that Jesus is more than a prophet. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a rabbi, but he is somebody who deserves her worship. Now, exactly how much of Jesus' lordship did she actually understand? We, we can't be 100% clear on that at this point in the story. But it is clear that she has a better understanding of who Jesus is than the Pharisee. The Pharisee's words, though, they open a door for a perfect teaching opportunity for Jesus. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. A creditor, who had, or sorry, a creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. 
Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. So we look at the, the two debts here, the two amounts of debts. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. So a denarius was about a day's wages. So 50 denarii would be almost two months worth of salary. That's a pretty big debt. You have two months worth of debt piled on top of your already expen uh, your, uh, your expenses that you already have. That's a pretty big debt. Uh, but, you know, we look at that and we say, that's tough, but with some work, you can probably do that. But the other person, 500 denarii, it's 10 times more than, this other, than the first person. It's over a year's worth of wages. And when you consider trying to keep up with all your other living expenses, it's a significant debt that would be incredibly difficult to pay back. Now, I'm purposely underplaying that. I said the 50 denarii, it's, it's big, but if you work hard enough, you could probably do it. The, the 500 denarii, it almost, seems almost impossible. But Jesus says it wasn't almost impossible. It wasn't difficult for these people. They could not pay it back. They could not pay it back. The story that Jesus is telling, neither of these men have the ability to pay back their money. It doesn't matter how seemingly big or small a debt is. If you can't pay it back, it's a big debt. Whether it's $5, $50, or $5 million, if you can't pay it back, that's a big debt. But this creditor says he, he graciously forgave them both. So Jesus asks him, which one of them will love him more? Since neither of these debtors could pay, the creditor graciously forgave them both. If the, uh, when the debtors are given grace, they respond with love. Obviously, the one who is forgiven more will, have, will be much more appreciative and loving. The Pharisee understands this idea in the context of the parable that Jesus is telling. But just to be sure that he understands the point Jesus is making, Jesus applies this parable to the woman. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. Now, I've already mentioned how dirty people's feet could get during this time. Because of this, it would have been common practice to offer some means for your guests to wash off their feet as they entered your house. Not only was it common courtesy for your guests, but I wouldn't want that being tracked through my house. But this is common courtesy that, that you would offer a guest coming to your house and give them a little basin to wash their feet in as they come in. But Simon the Pharisee does not give Jesus this most basic common courtesy. On the other hand, the woman goes above and beyond washing Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. Again, it would be normal to greet a friend with a, with a kiss on the cheek. Simon, again, doesn't offer Jesus this greeting. And again, the woman goes above and beyond, not merely giving Jesus a kiss on the cheek, but kissing his feet, showing humility and affection. Finally, it was common for a little oil to be used on the head, since, well, running water and shampoo would have been rather hard to come by. Though this might not have been the, the common practice for a, a regular dinner guest, it would have been something for a guest of honor. Jesus uses this example to highlight just how much the woman honors him. She didn't merely anoint his head with oil. She poured out the expensive perfume on his feet, pouring out honor 
on one of the least honorable parts of the body. See, the Pharisee failed to show even the most basic signs of hospitality. But this woman has gone above and beyond to show her affection for Jesus. Her love for him is on display for everyone there to see. Her bravery comes as a result of her humble appreciation. Jesus makes that clear for us if we keep reading. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus says that her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. Then he contrasts that with the one who is forgiven little loves little. In all of this, it might be, me, it might be easy to miss something important here. Jesus never denies that this woman is a sinner. As a matter of fact, he says that she had many sins. He doesn't say that she's not a sinner. He recognizes that. And it's exactly because of those many sins being forgiven that she has such a great affection for Jesus. Since she has been greatly forgiven, she loves greatly. On the other hand, the Pharisee who thinks he has less sin loves Jesus less. More importantly than that, though, since the Pharisee doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he doesn't receive forgiveness at all. The one who is forgiven little loves little. And since the Pharisee shows no love for Jesus, he is showing that he has received no forgiveness. But since the woman does believe, he said to her, your faith, or sorry, your sins are forgiven. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Like the debtors in the parable, her great debt is forgiven. There is no possibility for her to atone for her sins. But since she places her faith in Jesus, they are simply forgiven. Jesus is the hero of this story because he has saved this woman. But in this story, we should strive to be like this woman. We need to recognize that we are all sinners, guilty before God. None of us can do enough good to make up for it. We cannot atone for our sins. Like the debtors in this parable, we cannot repay our debt. It is important to note in that parable that even though there was a great difference between the two debts, they were both more than what the debtors could, were able to pay. Yes, some have sinned more than others, but all are unable to pay. But God is a good and loving God. Like the creditor, he stands ready to forgive. He provides grace to us. We accept this forgiveness through faith. Jesus doesn't tell the woman that she's forgiven because of all these things that she did. He doesn't tell her that she's forgiven because she cried on his feet and dried him with her hair. He doesn't tell her that she's forgiven because she sacrificed the perfume for his feet. She doesn't tell him that she's forgiven because she kissed his feet. None of that earned her forgiveness. She's forgiven because of her faith in him. Those signs of affections are an outpouring of her gratitude for the forgiveness. The outpouring of affection that she gives are the result of forgiveness, not the cause of forgiveness. We all, like this woman, must place our faith in Jesus for forgiveness. Last point here. Those who were at the table with him began, began to say among themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? This is not the first time that Jesus has forgiven sin. And this time, 
Again, it seems as though the people don't believe that Jesus has that authority. The other dinner guests, and presumably Simon the Pharisee, they're baffled when Jesus claims to have this authority. To be clear, the only person who can forgive sin is the sin, or the person who has been offended by that sin. The only person who can forgive sin is the victim of that sin. And our sin is first and foremost against God. Therefore, the only person who can forgive sin is God. And Jesus here, saying that he has the authority to forgive sin, is claiming to be God. And since Jesus is God, he has that authority. So what application do we get from this passage? Now, our application always comes from our definition of a disciple, which we get from Matthew 4.19, and our three indicators of a disciple, and that's knowing, being, and doing. And so our no application is to know that we are unable to pay. In the parable that Jesus told, there were two debtors. Though their amount of debt was different, neither of them had the ability to pay their debt. At the dinner that Jesus went to, we learn about two other sinners. Though the Pharisee didn't realize that he was a sinner, just like the woman. Like the debtors in the parable or the people at dinner, we are sinners too. We must be careful, though, not to be like the Pharisee. He thought that he could be good enough to atone for his sins. He thought that by his religiosity or his good deeds and his legalism that he could make his guilt go away. He could pay off his debt. But we are all debtors unable to pay, sinners unable to atone for our sins. I am, you are, all of us are. And that is why this parable is such good news. So our B application is to be forgiven. In the parable, the debtors are forgiven. The woman at dinner was forgiven, and we can be forgiven too. It all comes through faith. Jesus told the woman, your faith has saved you. When we place our faith in Jesus, he forgives our sins, all of them. That huge sin debt that we owe, gone. Place your faith in Jesus and find forgiveness. In our due application, love much. When we realize how great our sin debt is, how sinful we are, and how much we have been forgiven, then we respond like this woman. The lo- uh, sorry, We love much because we have been forgiven much. This woman showed her love for Jesus through an outpouring of shameless affection and sacrifice. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commands. So like the woman in this story, We don't do these things to earn forgiveness, but we do them because we are forgiven. We respond to the forgiveness that we've been given with love and obedience. So our three application points again. Know that we are unable to pay, be forgiven through faith in Jesus, and love much because we have been forgiven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you offer forgiveness through your grace that that you would forgive us. Lord, I pray that you will help us to place our faith in you to find that forgiveness and in in response to, to love deeply as this woman does. Father, I pray that you will guard our hearts and guard our minds against the the Phariseeism that we see in Simon. Help us, God, to see that, that we are sinners unable to pay our debt so that we can place our faith in you because it is only in you that we find salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. 
If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBCHopeMills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.